you're listening to the Pomerado Christian Church Sermon Podcast. Thank you for spending time with us today. If you're a weekly listener, welcome back. If this is your first time, we're so glad you're here and hope you consider subscribing. If you're in your car, on a run, doing things around the house, or working out, and want to connect even further and take next steps with us, visit pomerado.info. Now, enjoy this week's message. Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to see those of you who are here with us in person. I want to welcome those of you who are joining us online. And just know that whether you're in person or online, or maybe you're listening later throughout the week, uh, just know that you were prayed for, you're cared for, loved before you showed up or before you turned on your screen uh, today. And so uh, we're really excited to continue on in our series called Masterpiece in Progress. As Thomas just mentioned, this is week two of our series, and so I'm going to do a quick reset of where we've been and what the series looks like before we dive into what God has for us through the passages this morning. And so what we're going to do is, is talk about in the very beginning, there are two different books that we're looking at here, and, and one is A Purpose-Driven Life by Rick Warren. Uh, I mentioned last week that we're going through a six-week series here, and so if you were to have started reading last week after our Sunday morning service, you'd be able to complete all 40 days of The Purpose-Driven Life before the series ended. Um, and so if maybe you have the book, maybe you don't. If you don't have the book and you would like to be able to borrow one from our church library, uh, there's one at the um, back table over there that you could go ahead and grab and borrow with you for the next uh, several weeks. Part of that series or part of that book in days around 31, 32, 33 or so uh, is the idea of shape, which is what we're unpacking here. And so Eric Rees in his book about shape dives into what those three days of purpose-driven life spends a whole book unpacking, discovering, discussing, and, and looking into what that impacts and how that impacts our lives. And so that's what we're looking at here today is, is we're looking at um, the SHAPE overview. So you'll see is the acronym, the way that God has shaped us for service is we have our spiritual gifts. H is for heart and a passion. A is for abilities. P is for personality. And E is for experiences. And, and that's especially that last part is why we realize that we are all masterpieces in progress. We're not all done. We're not finished works of art at this point because there are still different experiences that God is putting in our lives that may shape, pun fully intended, how it is that God wants to use us, what it is that he has for us. Now, last week when we talked about spiritual gifts, we made the point, and we will reiterate this point throughout our series, that these gifts, these spiritual gifts or any of these things are not meant for our own good. It's not for us. That 1 Corinthians, Paul talks about how these gifts have been given for the common good. Last week when we talked about spiritual gifts, we said that they are God-given abilities given to people at the conversion through the Holy Spirit in order to share God's love and to strengthen the body of Christ. And so it's for others. It's not to get credit, but to give God glory. And so our heart is very similar. The idea we have is what is it that God has stirred within our hearts? What, what, what people group, maybe it's a certain people group, a certain age group, or, or people who have had certain experiences that you say, my heart goes out to them. And I want to be able to see how I can come alongside them. Maybe it's people, maybe it's a cause that's local. Maybe it's the idea of like, I really, I have a heart to help people that are, are food sensitive, not food sensitive, but they don't have food um, available for them right now. So we think of different partnerships that we have, different mission ministries that we serve with here locally in order to help come alongside. 
Maybe it's a heart for, for women who are going through crisis pregnancies. And so you go to Life Choices Crisis Pregnancy Center and think of how can we come alongside someone in this time of need. And there's so many, as, as many different heartbeats that are in this room or watching online, God has given us different emotional heartbeats that they talk about in the book of how God has shaped you in order to be used by him and what heart or passions he's given you that he hasn't given to me or to everyone else in this room. When I first, uh, before I came to know the Lord, when I was in high school, uh, my eighth grade year of middle school and then through high school, I was depressed and suicidal. And some of you know this story before. And, and it was through that time that I realized um, that I was able to make it through that season in large part due to some really impactful teachers. And it wasn't about the subject matter they were teaching, is that they showed me that I mattered. And then they would ask questions, and they would come alongside, and they would encourage, and they would challenge, and, and they pointed me to counseling when I needed counseling. And so it was teachers, and I, so I knew, I was like, I, I don't know what I'm going to do but I know what I want to do is I have a heart for high school students. I have a heart for that age and middle school because that was when I struggled the most. And so I remember going to UC San Diego for my freshman and sophomore year. And for freshman year, I went and I'm like, I'm going to study English literature because, again, it's not as much about the subject matter as it is to show students that they matter. And so I was like, I love English literature. I love the idea of, of reading something, looking deeper into the text, studying about what it looks like, and then figuring out how to craft a discussion about it, which in hindsight, these are all the things I have the honor to be able to do as I'm preparing for sermons, right? But it's this idea of seeing how God at the time was like, I'm going to use you to teach Shakespeare, and then I, that's what I think it ends up being, and then it ends up being God has given the opportunity to teach students about Scripture, and so seeing that, but the through line with that was trying to reach students, was trying to reach those that in my time of need, I had people care for me and I wanted to pay that forward. But it was within this time frame where I f originally felt, you know, I, I served with students, I had a heart for students, but it was only a couple months after I gave my life to the Lord in 2003 that I was at a, a church service and the pastor was preaching and God's like, I want you to do that. And so then I'm like, okay, like I started serving in student ministry, but over time that's grown and that's expanded to not just a certain age group, but to be expanded to the idea of the local church. That over the past several years, this past three or four years specifically, the, the church um, has been attacked and there's been questions and there's things that people are frustrated, both people within the church and outside churches that are upset about different things. And I had close friends who were people that I served with on a church staff previously. And they're expressing to me things like, you know, I don't, you know, the church, like it just, it always, it's, it's never good enough. It's always this. There's always these struggles and always this brokenness. And Every arrow that they would sling at the church, I felt would hit me square in the chest. Because this is my heart. To be able to come alongside people who, who have a relationship with Jesus. And how can we go deeper? How can we grow more? How can we recognize that we're not perfect people, but we're people who have been changed by God to change the world? How do we recognize that we can be plugged into the people and the purposes of the church? How does it, what does it look like for us to be called to be witnesses, both through our words, by sharing our faith, but also through our actions and serving the world? What does it look like when 
God brings together people from different backgrounds, different socioeconomic statuses, different phases of life and stages of life. What does it look like when he brings their spiritual gifts and hearts and abilities and passions and experiences? And what does it look like when God brings people together in a group that normally would not be brought together, but he uses it for his glory and for his kingdom? And in our brokenness, it's like a mosaic that his light shines through to be a light in a city on a hill that cannot be hidden and a light that you do not hide under a bushel basket? What does it look like for us to be, not just go, but be the church? And so every time a friend of mine would would sling an arrow at the church, it hit me square in the chest. It's because there's a passion, there's a heart for that. And so what is it that God has put a heart and a passion for in your life? Because your passions and heart, they're not going to be the same as mine. Could you imagine if we all had the same passion for one specific group? We'd be awesome at that group, and we would miss the rest of the world. In the same way that if we all had the same spiritual gifts, we would be awesome at that spiritual gift, and we would miss everything else. We're not meant to be the same. We're meant to be unified within our diversity. We're not meant to have the exact same gifts, but to recognize it's the same spirit who gives different gifts so that we could be, not go to only, but be the church. So Tom Patterson, uh, he's quoted in the Shape book by Eric Rees, and he says this about heart. And so this is the longer version, and then we'll give a summary as we dive into heart today. Heart is where you are centered, where you desire to serve, the altar upon which you wish to place your talents. Giftedness is what you are. You have certain gifts. That's, that's what you're able to do. You are able to be a teacher or an electrician or someone who works great with computers or a team leader or a mom or a dad or a parent or a husband, whatever. You, you have giftedness. That's what you are. But heart is where you will most likely apply what you are. Heart refers to empathy, attraction, or draw towards a group of people, a field of expertise, or particular type of service. Evaluating your heart helps you determine where you might best use gifts, where you wish to serve, and to whom you wish to serve. And so we're going to talk today because some of us have these big dreams, these big ideas, and we say, God, I think you've stirred this within my heart to want to do this or serve this way or do these things, and it can feel overwhelming. And it can get to the point where because we feel like we can't do everything, we're afraid to do anything. And as we look at the story of how Jesus fed the 5,000 men, not including women and children, we're going to unpack how powerful it is when God's people have a heart to help, a heart to give, and a heart to act. Will you join me in a word of prayer as we see what God has for us this morning? Heavenly Father, I thank you for each person who's part of our service, whether they're live in person, live online, watching or listening throughout the week, God. I know that each person who hears my voice is exactly who you want to hear this message whenever they're receiving it and listening to it. I know that each person who hears my voice is someone who is shaped and formed and created by you, that you know the, the gifts and the heart and the abilities and the passion and the personality and the experiences that you've put in our lives. God, I pray that we would see how you've worked in our lives and that we would give whatever little we may be able to give and we give it back to you. And in so doing, Lord, would you take it, would you bless it, Would you break it and would you multiply it so that we wouldn't get credit, but that you would get glory? I pray that as we dive into your word, that I would decrease, that you would increase, that you would speak in a personal, powerful, impactful way to each and every one of us. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
We mentioned last week that we're doing, we have fill-in-the-blank notes because the small groups are coinciding with this series. And so if you are in a small group, and even if you're not, but you want to take the notes, we have discussion questions there. So if you're in a group, this is what you could present and be ready to discuss on your various group time, or in your various group times, excuse me. Or you could be able to just wrestle with and, and maybe talk with a friend if you're not in a group. Figure out what it is that you can discuss and think through these. And so some of you are note takers, and if that's you, we're starting off with our first note, our first point at the very top here is Eric Reese's dis, um, definition of heart. And it's this idea of heart is, are the special passions, is the special passions. God has given you so that you can glorify him on earth. They're the special passions that God has given you so you can glorify him on earth. It's not about the special passions that allow you to get credit. They're not the special passions that get you famous. They're not the special passions that make things about you. These are the special passions, the way that God has stirred in your gut and your soul in order to glorify him. As Matthew 5 talks about that people would see Jesus' disciples' good deeds, and they would give glory to their Father in heaven. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 14. We're going to take a sidestep, a little zoom in, if you will, on the story through John 6 for a couple moments, and then we'll come back to John, or excuse me, Matthew 14 and close. So you could go into both of those passages. You could follow along on the screen. If you're watching online, you could click the Bible tab on the online uh, platform, and you could go to Matthew 14, which is where we'll be, starting in verse 13, is where we'll be um, in primarily. And so the context of this is that Jesus is teaching, and um, we start to see that thousands of people are coming. And so the first thing that we're going to navigate here is how many of us, we may have a heart to help when we see a need. We may have a heart to help. And I remember when I went to um, a conference, uh, 2008, I believe it was, through my previous church, but it was a conference where Kay Warren, who's Rick Warren's wife, was, was being interviewed and discussing. And I remember she was sharing from the, from the stage that um, she has a heart for um, uh, orphans and being able to take care of people um, who don't have families that they can stay with. And so she shared this idea, and I don't remember the exact figure, so I'm not going to misquote, but what I remember is the, is the point. She said that regardless of the size church in our country, if every church, again, regardless of size, if every church would adopt four orphans, there would be no orphans in America. And I remember thinking, like, that's, that's like, actually doable. Like, that is an actual thing because there might be some churches that are bigger and they might do more and others might do fewer, but, like, that's an actual tangible way that we could show that we believe what James 1, 26 and 27 talk about, that religion that God sees as pure is caring for orphan and widows and, and being able to take care of um, and, and not letting the world pollute us. That's the second part. But I remember hearing that and it just kind of stirred something. I had a heart to help, but it could be like, well, we can't, we can't help all the orphans. We can't do all of that. But could we help one? Could you help one? What would it look like if God's people didn't look at what they couldn't do and they leaned into what they could? So before we even jump into that, though, it's just this idea of we have a heart to help. Our heart gets stirred up when we hear these things. And, and maybe for you, it's not that specific cause or that specific people group, but, but there's something that God has stirred in you. And we have a heart to help. But some of us, as we see in our notes, some of us have a heart to help, but we feel too overwhelmed to meet it. 
We think God can't use me to solve all the problems. But here's the thing. If because God can't use us to solve the entire problem, that we're not willing to be a part of the solution to any of the problem, then friends, if I may be so bold, we are part of the problem. If we don't realize how we can lean in and what God has given certain spiritual gifts of how he's created you, and then the heart of which direction and where is there you not going to be aligned, which group, which cause locally or globally, where is it that he was calling you to serve? But if we think, well, I can't do it all, so we're so afraid to not do anything. Friends, we are missing the point of what God can do. So, Some of us have a heart to help, but we feel too overwhelmed to meet it. We're going to jump in in Matthew chapter 14, starting in verse 13 and 14. It says this. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Let's stop there for a moment. That word compassion is this idea of literally, it's the idea of like intestines or guts. In other words, it's the idea of when you get so moved by something, you just feel it. Like you just, oh, I can't believe that there's that many orphans. Or I can't believe that there are people who don't have clean drinking water. Or I can't believe that there are middle school students who don't have mentors. Or high school students who don't have mentors. I can't believe that there's a gap with students, um, college and, and young adults not being a part of the church. I mean, you just go, oh, like I just feel it in my intestines. I feel it in my gut. And then if anyone were to call them out or or to question that calling, it feels like every arrow they sling at that, it hits you in the squarely in the chest. You just feel it. Jesus, in his gut, in his intestines, he shows compassion upon the people, and he healed their sick. Verse 15, as evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place, and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look at this. Uh, I think there's a couple ways you can look at this. One could be the disciples are tired after a long day. Maybe a lot of, you know, maybe some of them are introverts. and like, Lord, there's just a lot of thousands of people here. Like, send them on their way so we can have space. Maybe it's they have a clock that counts down how long the sermons are supposed to be. And they're thinking, Jesus, you're going over time. And so can you, like, move this along? But I would guess, if, if I were to look into the context here, the context is saying, send the crowds away Not so we can get rest. Not so that we can just end our day. Not so we can just relax. So they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. The context is that the disciples are saying, Jesus, there are thousands of people, 5,000 men, not including women or children, and they're hungry. Can you, you know, it's getting dark. We recognize that how long it's going to take for them to get back to the roads in order to get to a place where they can do that. We don't want it to be too dark that, you know, they could get, risk getting robbed. We don't want them to go hungry. Can you, can you send them home now so that they can eat? So they have the heart to help the people get food. But they have no concept or no idea that they could be part of the solution of helping them have food. They just say, Jesus, go, please, we want them to be fed. Can you, can you release them? And we think about this where um, Shailen, uh, our oldest daughter, was born in uh, November of 2011. 
And around that time, um, Steph and I, at our previous church, um, we had the opportunity to sponsor a child um, through one of the, local, the missionaries that we served at our previous church. And so uh, Chosen Children of Promise is the name of the organization that helps kids in Kenya, uh, specifically in the Kaurangwari slum. And so we were looking, like, we want to sponsor a child. We want to be able to do that. And so we looked, Steph and I looked, and we found someone who was born uh, about 10 months before Shaylin, but she'd be the same age, and her name is very similar. So let me introduce you to Sheila. Sheila is someone that um, we've been able to sponsor for coming up on 10, almost 11 years now. And recognizing that um, we're able to give towards that, and it helps with education, it helps with food. Um, I recent Last year, she uh, talked about how she wasn't doing well in her grades, and so they discovered that she needed glasses, and so she was able to get glasses, and that she was able to have marked improvement. And so just being able to see and recognize that, you know, no, we cannot help every child in the Kalamgrati slum in Nairobi, Kenya. But we as a family can help one. And I know that through our Hippo Valley mission, like we have the opportunity to sponsor children through them as well. So you won't be able to help all of the children in Zimbabwe, but is it possible that you could help one? So Mother Teresa says it this way, if you can't feed 100 people, then feed just one. Andy Stanley sums it up in a different way, and he says, do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. So you say, man, it's really hard for me that, they're, you know, that middle school students, they, they, they don't have mentors. I say, well, I can't help all of the students. Well, could you, could you mentor one? High school students, when they're facing so many difficulties and trials, it's really hard to help instill in them a deeper faith. And so you say, I can't help all the high school students. Well, could you help one? Man, I have a heart for, for um, people at Abraxas, the students at Abraxas, but I can't, I can't help all the time. Well, could you help with Valentine's, Abraxas Valentine's tomorrow and just do this one event? Oh, I have a heart for people who, who are poor down in San Diego and they're homeless. And so, but we can't feed everybody. We can't clothe everybody. Well, March 12th, when we have our next opportunity for Ladle Fellowship and we have a team that will go down, would you be willing to donate pairs of clothes for one person or to serve one meal or to dedicate one afternoon? I mean, let's not look at what we can't do. Let's say, if I can't do everything, I can't do one thing. Because God honors and blesses when we do one for his glory and for his namesake, not for our own credit. And so we can start off with a heart to help. The disciples, Jesus, can you get them, let them go so they can eat. They have a heart to help, but the next step is this heart to give. This idea of going beyond just feeling like, okay, I want to help people. And we can sit in, in, in a comfy chair, in a comfy room, knowing that there are people all across the world that need help and need things and need Jesus. And, and we can think, okay, like I have a heart for those people. I want to help. But if we're not able to take the step of having a heart to give, then our desire to help will only go so far. And to be clear, a heart to give can be a heart to give your time once a month for serving down in our children's ministry, once a week to go and help out on Thursday nights, once a quarter to help out with Ladle Fellowship, once or twice a year to help out with Abraxas. I mean, we could find ways that we can give what we are able to give. So it's giving your time, giving of your talents, or giving of your treasures. So we'll continue on because in Matthew 14, after they say, can you please let them go? He says this, Jesus replied, 
They do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. They don't need to go. I hear your heart. I hear that you want them to be able to go and get food, but you do it. That's, how, that's another reason why we recognize that the disciples weren't just like, we want a break. It's like, no, no, no. They're here so that they can get food. You give them something to eat. And here's the struggle that many of us might wrestle with. That we might look and we think, well, we don't have enough. So in your notes, God tests whether we focus more on the provision, what's needed or what's lacking, the provision, or the provider. He says, where do you place your faith? Where do you place your focus? Are you looking at what can't be done? Are you willing to step out in faith to see what God might be able to do and what can be done? We see this. We're going to jump now actually from Matthew 14. I mentioned we're going to give a zoomed-in version going into John 6 because the next verse in Matthew 14 says, well, there are some five loaves and two fish, and so Jesus says, bring them to me. Well, let's zoom in on John 6 because this gives us the idea of being able to look at two different disciples and how they navigated this. The first is Philip, and the second will be Andrew. So first, we see in John chapter 6, it says this at verse 6. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. He's saying, I know what's going to happen, but I'm going to ask Philip if he understands the capacity of what I'm really capable of, or if we're just going to look at the provision rather than fixing our eyes on the provider. So he tested him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Verse 7, Philip answered him, It would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. It's the example of saying, you know, Philip was, you know, he was doing the math. He's like, okay, so 5,000 men, not including women and children. There's thousands of people here. In order to provide enough bread, we'd have to have half a year's wages, but we don't have half a year's wages. But even then, it would only be enough for a bite rather than for them to be fulfilled, for them to be sustained, and for them to be able to experience the fullness that God had for them. And so he's like, we can't, it's not mathematically possible. It, it is not, I've crunched the numbers, Jesus, and we're found wanting. And Jesus says, are you, so are you going to focus on the provision? Friends, what is it in your life that you look at? And God has stirred a heart and a passion and something that God has called you to do, that only you could do in the way that God has created you to do it, whether it's with a different people group or whether it's a different cause. What is it? And you say, God, I can't do that. There's not enough time. There's not enough money I can give. There's not enough talents. There's not enough available for us to be able to do this. And so being able to figure out what does it look like for us? What does it look like for us to say, we will give what we can, and we're going to trust God with what may seem like a little provision in our mind, but then trust in the provider to do far more with it than we could ever do. Archdeacon Frederick Farrar says it this way, and he's talking about Mother Teresa. He says this, when they laughed at St. Teresa when she wanted to build a great orphanage and had but three shillings to begin with, she answered, with three shillings, Teresa can do nothing. But with God and her three shillings, there is nothing Teresa cannot do. Do you notice the change in, in perspective there? It's saying, yeah, with, with actual just provision, three shillings, you're right. I'm not going to be able to make, build an orphanage. I'm not going to be able to impact people, the poorest of the poor in Calcutta, India. You're right. 
But if the perspective is not on the provision, but it's on the provider, then we say, well, then with three shillings and God, there's nothing Teresa cannot do. So what are the things in your life that you think, oh, God, I can't do that. But if you were to change the perspective and say, okay, with what little time you have, I can't do anything. But with what little time you have and with God, what could you do? Oh, I don't have a lot of resources. What if you were to say, you're right, you don't have a lot of recesses, resources, but with the resources you have plus God, what could you do? Is it possible that God is testing us as he did the disciples? He did this to test them, to say, are you going to focus more on the provision and what you lack rather than the provider and all that you have at your disposal when we trust in him? It's an easy perspective change for us to miss, but it changes everything if we embrace it. So when it comes to this heart to give, yes, we often focus on the provision more than the provider. He tests us to see. But we also see here that there is great power in one person with a heart to give. Great power in one person with a heart to give. Let's jump back into the story. John chapter 6, going to verse 8. We saw how Philip responded. God, we can't do this. I checked the numbers. I crunched them, and we're falling empty. Here's what Andrew says. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? And I love this because Andrew's doing two things. One, he's, he's seeing someone who has the availability to meet the need. The question for us, do we think, we, we don't have the answer, so it's just a thought exercise. Do we think that out of the 5,000 men, not including the thousands of women and children, that this boy was the only one who packed a lunch that day? Is it possible? Sure. Maybe, maybe they all didn't realize how long Jesus was going to share and the healings, and so maybe they were planning for just a short outing, and, and his mom just sent him with a Lunchable to make sure, hey, just, just in case, have a snack, you get cranky, right? So maybe it's just something where he's the only one that did. But whether he's the only one that did or whether there were others, could you imagine the faith like a child it takes to see thousands and say, I've got five barley loaves and two fish. And maybe he flags Andrew down and maybe he's a little embarrassed about it. And he says, I, I, I got this. I know it's not much. Do you think Jesus could do anything with it? Or, or maybe it's just the example of, we don't know how it found out, but Andrew said, Jesus, there's someone. But even he said, but, but what can that do among so many? Even when Andrew was bringing up the, the opportunity, it's still hard to see how it's going to come to fruition. And so Edward Everett Hale says it this way. He says, I'm only one, but I am one. And I cannot do everything, but I can do something. And I will not let what I cannot do interfere with what I can do. You're right. You will not be able to solve world hunger. But could you provide meals for someone in need today? You're not going to be able to help with every cause broken or broken person around this world. But could you walk alongside one person who's broken today? You don't have the capacity to do everything, but can you do something? And has God stirred your heart and you feel it in your gut and your compassion and your intestines and, and you say, I feel I need to do something with this. Would you be willing 
to do that today? What, what are the loaves and the fishes, the small resources that are at your disposal that you're holding on to that perhaps God is saying, bring them to me? Jesus says, bring them to me and see how I can bless others around you, not so that you get credit, so that I, Jesus, would be able to get glory. As you know, we've been doing the uh, North India Christian Mission. We're doing a project with our middle school on Sunday mornings. And so they came up in the end of January, and they were able to share, and they've been able to sell books and be able to be hired out to do different works. And we heard the story of Nico and how she right away raised $100 by walking dogs and babysitting. And, and we see, like, let's think of what we can do rather than what we can't. But then I want to share a couple stories. I have permission to share. And so there's a couple pictures I want to put on the screen here. And the first one is a note, and I'm going to read what the note says because it's a little hard to read uh, from your vantage point. But then I'm also going to read this note, and the picture coincides, the card coincides with this one. So the first note comes from Annabelle, and she's eight years old, and she is um, Evan and Linda's granddaughter. And so here's what the note says. They gave, she wrote the one dollar, and then here's what the note says. It says, here is the one dollar that I promised you that Aunt Amy gave me. I hope you get $10,000, which was the original goal at the time. And what you can't see necessarily is that there's hearts, and I love that there's a drawing there of like a $10,000 bill. She's like, this is what I want, and I can't, this is what I can give, though. I told you I would give this dollar, and I want to be able to give it, and I hope that you can reach the goal. She doesn't hold on to her dollar and say, well, I don't have the other 9999 so I'm not going to give. She says, here's my dollar. This will help. And then we look and we see uh, this one is from Autumn, which is also a granddaughter, and an older sister to Annabelle, and so it's also um, the Foots grandchild. It says this, Dear Grandma and the kids you teach, I hope that you reach that goal with the money. Sadly, I can't give much, but I can give some. Whew. That could be the whole sermon. Like, why don't you just read that and we can all go home? But sad, I can't give much, but I can give some. I have a $10 bill, and you can have it. I couldn't find the $10 bill, so instead, I will give you one $5 bill and five $1 bills. I hope you reach your goal. And it's beautiful because the idea is, I can't give much, but I can give some. You say, I can't, I can't give all this time, but can you give some? I can't give all this money, but can you give some? I can't use all my gift, but can you give some? And it would be beautiful to see the sum of all the sum that we're able to bring. Wouldn't it be beautiful to see how God can use some of all of this and how it brings glory to God? Not so that we can get credit, that God could get glory. Not to us, but to your name be the glory, O Lord. So recognizing that it's not about what we can't do. I can't do everything, but I can do, I'm one, and so I won't let what I can't do stop me from doing what I can. I can't give much, but I can give some. So we've talked about heart to help. We've talked about the idea of a heart to give, whether that's your time, your talents, or your treasures. And now we'll talk about the heart to act. I've just got a couple minutes remaining, so I'm going to try to, to navigate this closing section because we're going to jump back into... Uh, Matthew chapter four, 14, so you can go back there if you like, or you could follow along on the screen. Because when it comes to the heart to act, we learn this, that the smallest act of compassion in the hands of God is greater than any act of compassion done on, done on our own. 
When we show compassion and we feel it in our guts and we give it to God and say, Lord, can you just take the $1 I have, the, the one $5 bill and the five $1 bills I have, the, the 30 minutes a week I have, whatever it is, and you say, God, can, I want to show this and give this out of compassion. I want to act upon what I'm hearing in order to do what it is you're calling. And you say, it's greater than any act of compassion that is for our own credit or for our own self-aggrandizement. It says this as we continue on. This is going to be Matthew 14, starting in verse 18. Jesus says, bring them here to me. Again, the them are the loaves and the fish. Bring them here to me, he said. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. He, he took these things in his hands, and he knew that he was going to look to heaven, and he was praying, and he was going to say, God, it's going to be incredible to see what takes place here, and it's going to bring you glory. And it's all because of the act of compassion of one boy who's willing to say, Andrew, I brought my Lunchable. Can Jesus use my Lunchable for his glory? And Jesus says, bring it to me. Let me show you. And let's see how this comes together. Archdeacon Frederick Farrar, the same gentleman who mentioned earlier, says, if you bring no gift, how can God use it? The lad must bring his barley loaves to Christ before the 5,000 can be fed. We don't know how long they were sitting there hungry. We don't know if they're like, oh, someone better mention food, or Jesus better finish a sermon, or there better be people who stop being here. Were they waiting a long time? We don't know. But what we do know is that when the little boy stepped up, Jesus took it, he blessed it, he broke it, and he multiplied it. We continue the story through our last point here. God could meet every need on his own, but he chooses to use us. Friends, this is beautiful because God has the ability, like we've seen, he can rain down manna from heaven. He could provide an east wind that brings all the quail to be able to feed us. He's shown this in the book of Exodus. Like, we know he can do these things. We know he can provide incredible ways, but he chooses to use us. He invites us not just to be the recipients or the consumers of his blessing, but to be contributors to what he's doing. We see this here as we close with our last couple of verses in Matthew 14 and verse 19. Then he gave the bread and the fish. He gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. It wasn't that he was doing himself, and they were all coming, and it was like a very orderly line, because we all know how people orderly they are when there's thousands of people wanting food, and so it's like, you know, it's not like, and then here's your food, and then here's your food. He said, no, no, no. Hey, Peter, can you, can you cover this area? They're sitting in groups. Hey, James, can you go back there? John, can you come here? Andrew, if you could handle this one, and, and Levi, and, and Bartholomew, and Judas, and we don't like you, but you're still going to be there, and then the other Judas. So it's like, can you, can you go, and can you feed the people? Jesus took the blessing of others and used his disciples, the people who followed him with their lives, to be the ones to bless and to give and to contribute to those around them. The people are the, received from the disciples' hand. And Jesus could have done it all, but he invites us to be used by him. And they all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men, besides women and children. And I highlighted this part about the 12. And this is, uh, this is um, as we would say, this is extra bonus footage. Like, this is, this is free of charge, right? This is not part of the sermon. But here's the thing. What I love about this is that we know Jesus had his 12 closest friends, right? 
We know that he has the 12 disciples, apostles, and we see that they're close to him. We see that Philip was right there. We see that Andrew was right there. We see how they were right near him. We can envision how he says, Peter, can you go over there? And James, can you go over there? And John, can you go over here? And he starts sending them all off. And then by the end, everyone had their fill. It wasn't a, it wasn't a one bite that would take half of a year's wage for everyone. They were full. And then out of God's provision, he shows an abundance. He teaches us that he's not a God of scarcity, but of one of abundance. And then there are 12 basketfuls. And, and I wonder if Jesus says, hey, my 12, can you go pick up the leftovers? John, can you go over here? Or Peter, can you go over here? James, can you go over here? John, can you go over here? Bartholomew and, and Judas. And can you go and can you grab what's left over? So each of the 12 disciples... If there's 12 disciples on 12 basketfuls, each of them would be holding in their hands tangible truth of God's provision. They would be walking around and saying, I don't know how he did this. But it's amazing to see how he fed everyone and now we have leftovers. Friends, are there things in your life, are there times in your life when God has answered a prayer and you want to say to yourself, there's no way I'm going to forget how God met me here. An answer prayer for a sickness or for a healing, a restoration of a relationship, a time when finances were so tight and never thought you'd be able to see ends meet, and yet a check came in the mail you weren't expecting. And you think to yourself, I never want to forget how God provided for me here. But we'll see with the disciples that they did forget. They didn't understand about the loaves. Mark 6, verse 52 talks about. They, weren't, they didn't understand what this was about. So friends, let's not miss it, that we've all experienced tangible moments that we've seen God provide, that God's compassion, his intestines were stirred up to serve and to bless and to help, and that he uses people that might be overlooked and not cared about in their culture, like the little children were back then, and he uses what little person can, little, that what little, a little person can give. But in the hands of Jesus, he takes it, he blesses it, he breaks it, and he multiplies it. So our closing part is this from Eric Rees as he talks about this. He says, he's talking about this story, the feeding of the 5,000. He says, this story always inspires me because it reminds me of how much God wants to bless us and expand our influence for him. Not expand your influence on social media, not to expand your fame, not to make things about you, but to expand your influence for him because our hearts are the God-given passions that he's given us so that we could glorify him on the earth. So this is all about our influence for him. God longs to use what he has given us for his glory. He is waiting for us to come to him with thankful hearts and expectant faith. Thank you for what little I have, and instead of griping about what I don't have, Jesus, I expect you to do more with what little I have than I could ever do on my own. I have a grateful heart for what you've given me and an expected faith that you can use what you've given me far better than I ever could. So what I want to share is as we close this sermon, we mentioned the beginning of our service last week that we're listening to stories from people from our church body that, you know, last week we heard from Carol Turner did a great job talking about spiritual gifts and we have them lined up throughout the series. But for, for today, we're gonna, in a moment, we're gonna hear from Scott Pogue as he shared his story and shares and you be able to see a through line of how God has used his experiences and his heart for people that have experienced similar things to be able to be glorified, so that God would be glorified through 
him and through his acts of service because of the heart he has. And so will you take the next uh, few minutes together to turn your attention to the screens as we listen from Scott Pogue about his heart and how God has shaped him. Uh, Scott Pogue, Beverly, my wife and I have been going here about 10 years now. Okay, in order to look at that, it is, it is a journey, uh, and I'm not gonna go into every little detail, but, uh, but really the nexus of uh, it all goes back to about 45 years ago um, when I was at the tail end of my uh, service in the Navy, and my dad died of cancer. And uh, so my mom had died of cancer when I was 11, so, and I didn't realize how that would really affect me as an adult until uh, my dad died. And then uh, about six months later, I got cancer and uh, it was an angiosarcoma and with the staging and everything, the doctors told me that uh, it was uh, terminal, that I wasn't gonna live very long. So um, my response to that was to go out and engage in a lot of uh, self-destructive behavior alcoholism, uh, drug addiction at that time. At one point I became homeless, or if I had a little extra money, I lived in uh, seedy hotels, uh, things like that. And I'd also grown up in a church where uh, they emphasized the amount of good works you can do to earn your way to heaven. And by that time I had uh, thought that I had done so many bad things that there was no way I was going to get to heaven, so I kind of gave up on God at that particular point. Now, the reason I fill you in on that is because I want to, and I can't overstate this, I want to talk about what God did during that time. It was about a four-year period, and I was suicidal at one point, uh, and the Lord brought people into my life. These weren't people I asked to come in. Uh, they weren't people that I even knew, but they were Christians. And they were come and they would share a message of comfort and hope. Whether I was in the hospital, whether it be a street preacher while I was on the streets, whether one time I was up in the mountains uh, about 8,000 feet and a couple just happened to drive by this obscure campground that I was in and uh, talk to me. And they weren't uh, sharing with me a turn or burn message. They were sharing with me the comfort of, of and the peace of Christ. But I got to the point that um, I could see the Lord's hand in all of this. So I got myself cleaned up. I went to nursing school and I became an RN. And I served as an RN in the hospitals in different parts of the country actually for over three decades. And what I noticed after I became a Christian was that these same, uh, these same behaviors, these same things that other people had come and shown me while I was suffering and suicidal and alcoholic, drug addict, all this, were the same things that the Lord gave me a passion to be with others. I believe I have a spiritual gift of mercy, so uh, I can sit with people and I can uh, help them go through a grieving process. Uh, I believe there's a, uh, a bit of knowledge and wisdom where the Lord, with the knowledge, uh, 
shows me what he wants me to see and then with the wisdom he shows me what he wants to do with it so it's the lord's knowledge and the lord's wisdom it's not mine but they're the same things that these people that came out of nowhere basically and ministered to me with i have those same things to minister to other people with and that's really an amazing thing that the lord would use those things. After I retired as a nurse, I uh, went to the chaplain's office in the hospital and I asked if I could be a volunteer chaplain. I'd gone through seminary some years before, uh, not to be a pastor or anything, but just to uh, experience the seminary. And I, I was in a counseling track and I graduated and I had opportunities in other churches to be a counselor. Uh, a pastoral counselor and I thought that being a chaplain in the hospital would be a nice combination of those things and that the Lord could use my spiritual gifts, uh, my heart for uh, people that were suffering and uh, that's how I got into being a chaplain and I'm a volunteer chaplain. I'm not a, I'm not a paid chaplain but it's been uh, sometimes I think I get more out of it than the people I see in the hospital because I've met a like with nursing I've met a lot of really great uh, interesting people through that I also want to mention that uh, the Lord sent me Beverly uh, my beautiful wife Beverly and her three beautiful kids to minister to me and uh, she's the love of my life and we got married and so that was um, another person that the Lord sent to me. So the Lord sent this basically agnostic, suicidal, terminally ill cancer patient a uh, lifeline through a number of different people 45 years ago. And that is really what uh, changed the whole course of my life after that. Having this gift of mercy, I believe, I don't believe that anybody is, is unreachable. So I don't, I believe that the Lord can uh, bring anybody to faith in Christ and uh, through the drawing of the Holy Spirit and uh, through using other people like he did with me. So that's, I look at other people uh, and I try to see them how the Lord would show me how he sees them. Um, so, um, just a beautiful, powerful story. want to thank you, Scott, for sharing, and Beverly, for both of you and, and who you are. And so, um, just such a, such a blessing to hear, and you see the through line of, of nursing and meeting broken people and experiencing brokenness himself, and then seeing how God can use him in the same way that people had been, that God had used others in his life, and to be able to see this beautiful through line that the heart had started so young, and, but over 45 years, seeing that come to fruition and seeing how God is using and continues to use Scott in that role. And so it's a beautiful thing for us to recognize that maybe some of you know what that through line is. Maybe some of you don't yet. And if 
you don't, we want to encourage you. We, we've mentioned the beginning of the season, uh, the beginning of this year that we want to help provide really practical things that you can do in order to lean into what God has for you. And so um, we have these assessments that are in the back on the table in the back there that if you don't know what people group or what cause that God has stirred within you, maybe using this as an assessment to just write down in a circle and to, to mention, okay, this is what I think God has put on my heart would allow to maybe help what seems so big to become a little bit more into focus. And then you could start to see the through line of what God, how God has shaped you. That as he mentioned, it's the giftedness, the spiritual gift of mercy, knowledge, and wisdom he mentioned, that God is using where, where a place is that Scott's heart was aligned because of his experiences. And so I want to invite you to do that. If you're watching online, we have the resources for you to still look. It's a resource that has all the spiritual... Um, excuse me, spiritual gifts, heart, abilities, personality, experiences. You can click the link there and you could find the same document as well. So with that said, what I want to encourage and challenge us all with is where is the area that you have a heart to help? Would you be willing to step out and to see, okay, God, I want to help and I could feel overwhelmed sometimes, but I trust you to meet me here. And what area do you have the heart to give? What are the loaves and fish that you could provide, that you could offer up to God? And it's, maybe it's 30 minutes and it's a love for students to pour into them. I mean, if that's what you have to say, God, could you use this? Because instead of me holding on to it, it's not doing any good, but you can do great things. There is great power in one person who has the heart to give. Would you say, God, would you allow me to step into and act upon the heart that you've given me? So that we can say, along with Autumn, that I, I can't give much, but I can give some. And as we read as well, we won't let what we can't do stop us from doing what we can for God and his glory. Will you join me in a word of prayer? Father, I thank you for each person who's part of our service today, whether it's live in person, live online, or watching or listening later. Lord, I pray that even now, the Holy Spirit, we would feel you stirring within us, whether it's a certain group, people group, a certain cause, locally or globally. Maybe a reminder of something that you put on our hearts decades ago, that maybe we allowed the worries of this world and the busyness of our lives to stuff it down so much that it's, it's almost like an echo of a dream that we can barely remember you gave us. But Lord, maybe you're calling us back to it today. I pray, Lord, that that you would work in us as we have the opportunity to, to find out what our, um, where our heart is. Lord, may we trust you with what we have and know that we can do something in your name to bring you glory, to strengthen the body, to share your love, and to glorify you here on earth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast. We want to be a church where people are changed by God to change the world. If you want to partner with us in this way, you can start by doing these two things. The first, if you haven't subscribed to this podcast, you can do that by hitting the subscribe button wherever you're listening so you can stay connected with us and we can broaden our reach. And the second, and this might be the most important thing you do, share this message with someone you know. And as always, remember you are prayed for, cared for, and loved. See you next time.